Well, it's good. It's good to be with you, as I mentioned earlier. And I'm, I'm just kind of excited to share a little bit this morning from God's Word. We're going to be uh, in the book of Isaiah. And so if you have your Bibles or apps, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to turn there uh, and read in just a moment. But I just have a, a kind of a question to begin. Um, I don't know if, if any of you are... I, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to say outdoors people, but maybe gardeners. Maybe that's a little bit better. I know it's a little bit distinct and different, but I've never really been much of a, a green thumb and, and, a, and a gardener or a, a planter of things. But um, regardless of whether you're into horticulture, is that how you say it? Horticulture? Thank you. Thank you. See, I, I grew up in the city, and despite five years in Kentucky, I still don't know anything about They grow tobacco out there. I know, I know what it looks like now, which is kind of cool. <laughs> That's kind of a cool thing, but um, uh, yeah. it's like a huge crop. It's just amazing. Anyway, I, I get distracted. Um, despite all that, I still kind of talk like a city guy because I don't really know much about the greens and all that kind of stuff. But I have experience, and you probably have too, uh, whatever your, your background is, is uh, a dead plant or a dead tree. Or perhaps you've even seen uh, a tree that's been cut down or been part of that process of cutting down a tree. I can remember as a kid... Uh, most of you know this, but maybe some of you don't. I grew up in North Hollywood, and so the house that I grew up in was this tiny little house in North Hollywood, and we had um, huge palm trees in the front yard. I mean, I think they're still there in the front yard of this little house, uh, but I can remember as a kid at one point uh, my dad hiring somebody to come in and chop that uh, palm tree down, and they, they cut it down in, in layers, you know, because you can't just right in a big city, just have like a 30-foot tree just fall on over into the middle of the, the street. So they cut it down, and then they get down to the, the, the stump, and then they, and eventually they just like grind it down so it doesn't, doesn't grow back again. And um, there's some um, imagery in the passage that we're reading this morning about a stump, uh, a stump that is obviously an imagery for what God, I believe, really wants to do. But if you've ever seen a tree that's been cut down or a dead tree, a dead plant, uh, whether it's been from being chopped down or maybe disease has impacted it, there's, especially when a, when a stump is, is ground down, there is really no hope of life coming back. The intention of chopping it down and grinding down the stump is to kill it, to put an end to its life for whatever reasons. Uh, and in this morning, we're going to talk about how God brings new life out of dead things. It's kind of something we think about with Christ, and obviously we're in the season of Advent and looking forward to celebrating the arrival of Christ and, and even the second coming of Christ as we look forward to his return as his church. Uh, but there's this other idea in the waiting and the anticipation of how God can take things through Christ in our lives that may be dead and bring life from them. And so if you have Isaiah open, chapter 11, and we're going to read the first 10 verses this morning. I'll be reading from the New International Version. So if you've got the option, you can select that and read exactly word for word what I'm reading, or you can just kind of pick a different version and, and, and follow along as well. Uh, but it begins, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth." 
He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the child, a little child, will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning as we just uh, dig into your word, I pray that you would help me to communicate what you want us all to receive this morning. Let our ears be opening up to what your spirit is speaking into our lives as individuals and as a community. In Christ's name, amen. So this passage has a lot of imagery, and if you read anything in the Old Testament, um, a lot of what is written, especially in what we would consider a prophetic book like Isaiah, there's often a lot of beautiful imagery, sometimes confusing imagery. Uh, a lot of prophetic writing in the scriptures is, is filled with imagery. Has anybody ever tried to read the book of Revelation before? There's a lot of imagery and pictures and, and, and things that are going on there, and so sometimes that can kind of be... Um, overcomplicated. Sometimes it can be complicated in and of itself. And so I, I want to narrow some of this down just to the core and the heartbeat behind with this passage I believe is speaking to us this morning about um, and with this beautiful imagery here. Uh, but the most obvious thing that is talked about here is this uh, shoot that grows up out of this stump of a tree. Um, and what it exactly is referring to um, is in essence the people of Israel. So God moves in this world today as he's always moved, and he moves primarily through speaking to and through his people. So before Christ came, God worked primarily through the people of Israel. Yes, God interacted and intervened into other cultures because God is always moving and has always had a heartbeat for all peoples, but he primarily used the people of Israel to bring forth his word and his prophecies to include not just a rescue of the Jewish people, but of all peoples in the world. And even this passage alludes to a lot of that. But God's heartbeat and the, the heartbeat behind what he is constantly doing throughout the, the history of humanity is moving in to rescue and include all people back to him. To kind of like bring back all the broken pieces and broken peoples and broken cultures and all that's been disconnected. And it all happens because in the garden, we see God moving in and, and, and trying to rescue this couple, Adam and Eve, that have sinned, that have brought in a, a, a brokenness to their relationship with God through sin. And so God, throughout history, is, is interacting and moving into the hearts and the lives of people. 
And, and there's, there's repercussions for when we sin, right? Like it brings a brokenness to our relationship with God. It doesn't like totally remove us from God's presence or his word, but it brings this like dysfunction. Like we, we all have relationships in our lives, whether it's through family or friends, but sometimes there's some dysfunction that can come in. And so it, it isn't healthy anymore. And even though I still might be the child of, of Scott and Susan, if there's dysfunction there, it brings a brokenness to our relationship. It's not completely whole as God intended. And so sin has that same ramification in our relationship with God. He still views us and sees us as his children, but it causes this dysfunction in our relationship with him, this brokenness. And so God is on the move to mend and heal those relationships with people. And so no matter what takes place in our lives, God is constantly reaching out and drawing us to him to bring healing and restoration into our lives, even in broken relationships and in broken situations where we feel like they're isn't much hope. In the same way you might see a stump that's been ground down, a tree that has been chopped down that has no hope of bringing forth life. Now, in the, in the life of the nation of Israel, which the, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to here, they're kind of in this situation right now. They've um, been exposed to um, the Assyrian people who have kind of come in and threatened them. They haven't conquered them. They're about to conquer them in the years to come, but they're threatening them. And then there's also some ungodly rulers that are leading the people. And they're leading the people away from God. And they're at a point where they really feel hopeless in a lot of ways. And that um, the, the line of the king, so like there was this historic great line of kings for the people of Israel. It started with this guy Saul, and it really... It almost culminates early with this guy, David. Like, David is the second king of Israel, and he's a leader. He's very profound. He's very godly. But after him, there's like this inconsistency in leadership where people are leading people towards God, and then an ungodly king will come, and the people will be led away from the things of God and the, and the worship of God. And, and at this point in Israel's history, this last king is still there, like the, the line continues after him, but they're no longer in influence or power because the surrounding nations, beginning with the Assyrians, begin to control and dominate the people of Israel. And so like there's a line of leaders that are still being born, but they're not in influence and they're not in power. And there's really no hope because the Assyrians are kind of like the great superpower of the day. And there's no hope in their mind or their heart to believe that they'll be able to lead themselves again. And God uses the prophet Isaiah here to instill within a dark season in the lives of these people a seed of hope. And he's instilling with them that there is coming a day where this dead stump, this line of rulers that you think has really ended, I will bring forth life out of something that appears to be dead. From the roots a branch will bear fruit. Not only will there be this sprout that comes out of this stump, but it will actually start to produce fruit again. Now, these lines of kings, David and Solomon and so on, they lasted for about 400 years, but now all these other nations have come in and the people are discouraged. And Isaiah speaks to the heart of this discouragement with a future hope, and he's speaking here prophetically about Jesus. We know this because of a couple allusions that he makes in his prophecy to the people. First, he talks about this, um, this shoot coming forth from the stump of Jesse. Now, you may be like, well, who's Jesse? Jesse is King David's father. 
and he isn't talked about a lot in Scripture, but every time he's referenced, he's referenced in connection to David. So there's this automatic connection in the minds of the Jewish people that when you mention Jesse, you're really talking about this line of kings that flows from the life and the person of David. And so he's hearkening back. This is years. David is long gone. He's dead. His sons are long gone and dead. Rulers and generations later have come and gone. But God's saying that what I began in David, I'm going to reestablish again. And there's often this comparison between David and all the other kings. Because although David wasn't a perfect man, he had faults. He committed sins, many of them that we would judge and say, well, that guy would never be fit to be a leader. Yet God used him because his heart, though he was imperfect, his heart was for God and the things of God. And David is the comparison or the measure that all the other kings are compared to. So like if there's a godly king, they say this king was like his father David. He walked in the paths of righteousness. But if it was an ungodly king, they would say he was not like his father David. And David is kind of like the standard, but what God is doing through Isaiah, he's talking about what even David could not do, I will do through this new shoot. Christ is often referred to as, in a lot of ways, really the fulfillment of what David was supposed to do. See, David was a king, right? And he was a godly king, but he even had mistakes that impacted his nation. But God was going to raise up a ruler and a rescuer in his son, Jesus Christ, that would not only rule right here with righteousness it talks about here but he will be empowered with the spirit of god himself that he will be led by the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the lord and he will delight in the fear of the lord god is raising up in christ to come this ruler that will lead with righteousness empowered by his Holy Spirit. And this ruler will come to bring an end to injustice. And see, this is an issue that we see woven through Scripture that God is greatly concerned about issues of injustice in the world and in the lives of his people. It's interesting here, I believe it starts in verse 4. Yes, it says, uh, actually in verse 3, and he will, uh, well, verse 4, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, the justice, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Oftentimes in scripture, as um, we read about God bringing justice, we view that with, through a filter on how we understand justice. And we do that from like our understanding of like the justice system or the legal system here within the United States. So when we think about justice in the, United, in the United States, we think about punishment for wrongdoers, right? So like if somebody commits a crime, whether that's speeding, right? Isn't, isn't that a crime? I think it's a crime. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you can speed anymore in Los Angeles. But, um, uh, but uh, whatever the crime is, we think of justice as a punishment for a wrong or a sin or a broken law, something like that, okay? And that is, that is true, but from the biblical perspective, there's another side to that coin that is oftentimes um, not seen when we look at justice as just punitive, punishment for wrongdoing. In God's eyes, what he's, it's, it's, and this is why he's pointing out justice for the poor or the needy, if you notice that in the passage, is that God is concerned about righting the victim in the situation that is uh, unjust. So um, we think about justice as just punitive or punishment, towards the wrongdoer, but God is also concerned about the victim of the injustice. And he's concerned about making 
their life or their situation right. Restoring what was taken away or what was hurt into the life of the victim. And if you think about societies throughout history and cultures, throughout the, the history really of the world, people that are often the greatest victims in any culture are those that are the poor and the needy. They're the ones that have fewer resources and abilities within their own uh, um, capabilities to, to right their own situation, right? Um, this is what we see, we see it in our court systems as well, and I'm not trying to make any political statement, but the reality is if you have money, you can sometimes get off because you can hire the best lawyers that can work the case to your advantage. And you may not be found innocent, but you certainly won't be found um, guilty. There are advantages. Uh, sometimes you would say unjust advantages to those that have great resources and wealth. Yet God is concerned truly not by what can be seen and what can be heard, but by truly judging and discerning what is right by righteousness. And this is the heartbeat behind the work of what Christ does in this world. He comes to wrong, correct the wrongs in this world in our lives first and through us in our families and to the greater extent our communities as well. And it's in this work of correcting injustices that God brings forth hope and life. Because if you've ever been in a situation where you have been wronged, where things have come against you, whether rightly or wrongly, you often have this, this cry for your own self-defense and where you really want to say, hey, this isn't my fault or I don't deserve this. I may have done this, but I don't deserve the punishment or I don't deserve the repercussions or the consequences of my actions. And what God does in our lives is he extends his kindness and his grace to restore brokenness and hurt whether it's even the hurt that we have caused towards other people, as God's desire is to restore and bring hope and life to these situations of injustice. God brings new life and a new work to the nation of people, uh, to the, the nation of Israel. These people have been um, in sin. This is why God's bringing the judgment of the other nations coming to occupy them. He sent prophets for years saying, hey, repent of your sin, of intermingling your faith with the faith of the surrounding nations, worshiping of these other gods. If you don't, punishment will come. And sometimes for a season they would repent, but most of the time they would continue in their pathways. And so God releases his judgment upon them. So he brings this punishment. It's a right and just punishment, yet in the midst of that, God continues to offer a way out of restoration and hope. And this is a beautiful thing for those of us that may have made some mistakes in our lives. We have sinned, whether against people or against God, and judgment has come and repercussions have come and consequences have come to our lives. But God, in his mercy and his kindness, always extends a way for us to be restored back to him. This is exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ, our Lord, is that he finds a way through his kindness and his love to redeem terrible situations in lives. And we see this woven throughout the scriptures and stories like Joseph and Moses and Abraham and others. And I don't know the sense or the feelings that you have as you enter into this Christmas season as we move closer and closer um, to celebrate the arrival of our Savior. And you may be dealing with 
consequences, whether they were sins committed against you or even sins committed by you in your own life. But I want you to know this morning that in areas of your own faith, in your own relationships that may seem dead, there's no hope for life to come back to these relationships, either with God or with other people. I want you to know that God sees the sprout of a new branch being born that will bear fruit in the dead areas of our lives. We, we, what we need to do is just receive what God has for us in Jesus Christ. This is what he does, is he restores and brings new life to dead and dormant areas of our lives, dead and dormant dreams. Maybe there's a dream that God has given you, and you've walked away from it, or you've given up on it because you haven't seen the fruit of it. And God, through his son Jesus Christ, wants to restore the hope and the new life that comes in that dream and bring it back to you. Or perhaps it's a relationship that you have with a friend or a family member that you feel is beyond repair. I want to encourage you, especially during this season, because right, right, we just came through this Thanksgiving season, and, and like there's those things when you go back home, if you had the opportunity to, or if you think back to the previous Thanksgivings that you've experienced, there are certain topics and subjects that aren't talked about around the Thanksgiving table. You can talk about the gravy and the mashed potatoes. You can talk about the stuffing and the dressing and everything else that goes with it. But there are certain topics that bring up the tension and, and the hurt in relationships. Or maybe it's caused by just the empty seat of that person that did not show up to last year's Thanksgiving. And I want to encourage you this morning in that God is interested in restoring and healing relationships. And God is interested in using you to bring about new life to broken and dead relationships. Now, obviously, there are relationships. I always kind of want to bring a caveat to this. There's always relationships that we need to stay away from, right? People that are hurtful and harmful towards us. So, like, there's, there's, like, there's no good in restoring a abusive relationship if that person is not going to change their ways. But if there is hope in anything, it's hope that is found in Jesus, who is a restorer and a giver of new life. I want to challenge you during this remaining Advent season as we look forward to celebrating Christ together. Um, and Paul, if you and Topher want to come and uh, prepare to lead us in our response time this morning. But I want to challenge you this morning um, as we enter into these closing days of the Advent season. I want to encourage you to be a person of hope and restoration like Christ. See, Jesus has called his church, his followers, you and I, to continue the work that Christ began. Yes, Christ did a great thing on the cross, and he brought about the power and the ability to, to be forgiven and to be restored back to God, but the work of healing and restoration um, is a work that Christ began he did in our lives. Like, so if you've received Christ as your Savior, he's restored your relationship back to God, and he's interested in continually doing that, working and mending our relationships so they're in a place of health and growth and prosperity. But God is also interested in his church continuing that work and taking that restorative, um, healing, new life work into the relationships that we have, whether that's with family co-workers, friends. There are people that we interact with on a regular basis that need to know that the Lord brings life to dead and dormant areas, to dead and dormant relationships, to dead and dormant dreams. And I don't know what dreams or hopes you have, and I don't know what relationships may or may not be strained, 
this uh, time in your life. But I know that God wants to use you. And you may, be ha- you may be in a great relationship with all the people in your life. You may have, like, perfect relationships. God still wants to use you as an instrument of healing and restoration and new life in the life of others. Don't just think about internally about all your relationships that might need to be restored, but how God might use you to bring others together. It may be through just a simple act of kindness in the done in the name of Jesus Christ. It may be through the telling of the Christmas story to somebody that's never heard it before and the hope that has founded it. I mean, what a great opportunity we have. This is what I love, I think, most about Christmas is that all year long, especially in, in big cities like L.A., people can live in like just total indifference towards Christ. Just live their life. And that's, that's like just totally cool and accepted and part of it. But during these uh, weeks leading up to Christmas, everywhere you go, you hear Christmas songs. Everywhere you go. And if you stop and listen to them, like many of them are proclaiming the gospel story of why Christ has come. And it's a great opportunity if we open ourselves up to what God may want to do. Because you know what? God is already working in the lives of the people that don't know him. He's preparing their hearts. He's he's working on them. And there are seasons in our own culture that God can take advantage of to bring people into right relationship, to restore their relationship with him. And all we have to do is just be obedient to the moment. I'm not telling you you have to get up and preach a sermon or go stand on the street corner, you know, and all that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is just be sensitive to what you see and hear. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you and to point out things and people. And like again, sometimes it may just be an act of kindness that you do. A little Christmas card that you leave for your uh, mail carrier. I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do through you. But I know that if you're sensitive and open to him using you this season, it can become more than just buying gifts and receiving gifts and even celebrating Jesus. It can be an opportunity for us to bring hope and new life to people that are dead spiritually. And I know that's the heartbeat of the Lord. And I know that's the heartbeat of why Christ has come, to restore and bring new life to dead and dormant relationships and dreams. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close in prayer, and Topher and and, uh, Paul are going to just lead us. And if you just need prayer today or you want to talk, I'll be off here to the side. Um, But if not, just embrace this moment and embrace what God is speaking maybe to your heart this very morning. And uh, be encouraged that God is still in the business of bringing new life to dead things. Lord, I thank you for your word, which brings life to us. And I pray for all of us that have gathered together in your name, that, Lord, areas of our lives that may need just a touch from you today would receive it. I pray that your word would not only encourage us, but it would challenge us to step out and act in love and in kindness towards this world in the name of Jesus. And I just pray a blessing upon all of us, Lord God, today, that we would walk in a great sensitivity to the nudging and the prompting of your Holy Spirit, especially in this season. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen.